Hey everyone, welcome to episode 8 of What Some Will Call Lies in Reruns. I'm Mike Lawson, and I used to have a weekly storytelling podcast, and now I'm sharing those stories with you here on the Afterthought Media feed. On this episode, I'm sharing a story called My Bradbury Story, which was originally published on Monday, June 11th of 2012, which you may or may not know is just a few days after uh, legendary sci-fi writer Ray Bradbury passed away. And I share this story here. Now, if you were a subscriber to the illustrated zine that I did, um, you'll notice that in the next few episodes of this rerun show, there's going to be some zine uh, stories retold. I feel like I'm kind of hitting my like stride, so to speak, on writing these stories. I'm kind of understanding like structurally how to do it, but also like I need a good process. So like sit down on this day and write out a first draft and then rewrite on, you know, Saturday and then sleep on it and then don't touch it until like I kind of was hitting a stride on on the process and everything. So I put together some of my favorites right in here. Um, This is uh, my Bradbury story again from 2012. Here we go. Episode 30. My Bradbury story. Everyone must leave something behind when he dies, my grandfather said. A child, or a book, or a painting, or a house, or a wall built, or a pair of shoes made, or a garden planted. Something your hand touched some way, so your soul has somewhere to go when you die. And when people look at that tree or that flower you planted, you're there. Hi, my name's Mike Lawson, and I tell what some would call lies. Um, I really love telling stories. I love, I love, tell- I love I telling, telling stories. stories. What some would call lies. 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 Vomit. You lying son of a gun. Kind of creepy. Son of a bitch. He said. She said. I said. What the hell? Liar, liar, pants on fire. I love your dress. And I'm not making this up. You are a goddamn liar. I'm back, bitches. <laughs> I love telling stories. This podcast is in no particular order, a collection of stories from my life that I retell as accurately as I see fit. The guy who taught me how to write died last Tuesday. Ray Bradbury, age 91. Some call him a sci-fi writer, some call him fantasy, but he's really a genre of his own. Google Ray Bradbury today and you'll find a hundred people telling you why he was literarily prolific culturally significant or eerily prophetic. So I'm not going to go there. Instead, I'm going to tell you a story that only I could tell. I'm going to tell you my Ray Bradbury story. I could start this with titles, Something Wicked Comes This Way, Fahrenheit 451, The Martian Chronicles, Dandelion Wine. I could start this with Places, Mars, The Bottom of the Ocean, a circus tent at Coger and Dark's Pandemonium Shadow Show in Greentown, Illinois. But my introduction to Bradbury happened before all of those titles and before all of those places. Thank you.
I've heard of incidents where household pets started freaking out minutes before an earthquake hit, unable to explain exactly what was coming, but certain nonetheless that a freakout was appropriate. During the summer between middle school and high school, I was a nervous dog, totally cognizant of the impending catastrophe of high school, yet unable to articulate why everyone should duck and cover. That summer I was too young to get a job, and too antsy to sit around and do nothing, so I found a volunteer opportunity at the La Habra Library. The summer reading program that year was called One World, Many Stories, and two days a week I would show up and sit at a folding table positioned next to the reference desk and stamp children's Passport to Reading booklets. You got one stamp for every book that you read, unless the setting for the book was a foreign country. Foreign country books got two stamps. When a child received five stamps, he or she was able to pick a prize from the Suitcase of Wonder, which contained cheap erasers, spiral-bound notebooks, pencils, that sort of thing. On an average day, I stamped about ten times. I spent a lot of time walking the stacks, picking up random books that looked interesting, reading them for a couple of hours, and returning them to their place, never finishing them. At the beginning of the summer, there were flyers all over the library promoting a free Q&A with sci-fi author Ray Bradbury. The librarians talked about this event almost every day, and one librarian in particular, Anne, made sure that I knew how important it was that Bradbury was visiting our library. You have to be there, she told me. You may never get the chance to see Bradbury again. As a 13-year-old, I had no clue who Ray Bradbury was, but with all of the hype, I knew that I didn't want to miss the event. When I told my parents that I had to go back to the library, my mom was confused. You have to go back to the library during the evening? she asked. Up until this point, I had only spent days there. It was a Wednesday night. I took the city bus, Route 29, to the library after dinner. I showed up a little early and helped set up chairs in one of the conference rooms. The room slowly filled with people, and everything was in order. Bradbury had shipped two boxes of books to the library ahead of time to sell and sign. Anne asked me to walk with her to get the boxes. As we were walking to get the books, she asked me if I brought anything for Bradbury to sign. I hadn't even thought about it, and I told her so. You should buy a copy of Fahrenheit 451, she said. I told her that I would think about it, even though I already knew that I only had $3 in my wallet, one of which I needed to use for bus fare home. As we were walking back into the conference room, Bradbury and a woman were walking into the library. Anne spotted them and walked in that direction. Mr. Bradbury, she said. She put the box of books down and extended her hand. He was carrying a small three-ring binder that was overstuffed with papers, as if he didn't understand what the rings in the binder were used for. We have everything set up for you right this way, she said, pointing towards the room of people waiting to hear him speak. Do you need anything, any water or anything, before we start? Bradbury said that he would like to have some water, just in case his mouth got dry, and she looked at me. Mike, would you mind running to the lounge and getting two bottles of water from the fridge? I walked the box of books into the full room of people and then quickly walked to the lounge to get the bottles of water. 
By the time I got back, Anne was standing in front of the room reading a long bio of Bradbury's while he was seated at a table behind her. I walked up to him and placed the two bottles of water down on the table and turned quickly to get out of the allegorical spotlight. What's your name? he asked. I looked over my shoulder to double-check that he was in fact asking me my name. I'm Mike, I said timidly. Do you work here? he asked. I know now that he was being funny. Obviously, the 13-year-old kid wasn't employed by the library, but at the time, I thought that it was entirely possible for me to look like someone with a job that watches the evening news and makes his bed every morning. I'm a volunteer, I told him. Well, thanks for your help, Mike. After Anne introduced him, Bradbury talked and took questions from the audience, never standing up. Most of the questions were about Fahrenheit 451 and movie adaptations. At one point, Ray Bradbury talked about writing the dreadful screenplay for Moby Dick. Someone asked him what advice he would give to young writers, and Bradbury's simple one-word answer was, write. Then he moved on to the next question. After all the talking was done, Bradbury signed copies of his books, and he stayed until every last person had the chance to shake his hand get a book signed, or come up to say gushing things about how important his writing had been to them. I stayed in the back of the room and just watched. As the crowd dissipated, I started stacking the chairs with a few of the other library employees. Anne hovered over Bradbury and was helping him gather all of his stuff. And then I suddenly heard my name. Mike! Anyone named Mike understands that it isn't exactly exciting to hear your name yelled in a public place. So frequently we hear people calling out our name only to realize that they were talking to another Mike a few feet away. But this Mike was me. Bradbury was looking my way and waving me over. Thanks again for your help tonight, he said, and he handed me a copy of Fahrenheit 451. You're welcome. Only after he left did I have the nerve to open it up. And inside, on the title page, he had written, Mike! Exclamation point. And he signed his name and dated it. With a dictionary by my side, I stayed up the entire night reading that book and probably only got through three or four chapters. I know that on that initial reading, I wasn't getting everything out of the story that there was to get, but it still changed me. I've read that book, Fahrenheit 451, five or six times, and each time I get something new out of it. But the ultimate lesson I learned, and the most valuable really, is, to quote Montag, there must be something in books, things we can't imagine, to make a woman stay in a burning house. There must be something there. You don't stay for nothing. Like a lit match touched to the first page of a book, 
there was no way of stopping me from consuming the entire Ray Bradbury catalog. And I see now that Bradbury was the perfect author for a spacey kid stuck in his imagination. Dandelion Wine, The Martian Chronicles, and Something Wicked This Way Comes all have solid story structures, plots, and characters, sure. But the best parts are the pure fantasy. I'm currently rereading Something Wicked This Way Comes, and I'm reminded of the uncontained excitement when a carnival pulls up on the edge of town. In that conference room in the La Habra Library, and in the years that followed, Ray Bradbury was my ally. He was an adult that didn't side with other adults, but sided with me. Mike! Exclamation point. Every kid has been told by adults, either literally or metaphorically, that daydreaming is a waste of time. But when reading Bradbury, you can hear him gently whispering that they're wrong. Indulge in your imagination. Up next, this one's a little more lighthearted. I know that one was kind of a downer in parts. Uh, this is a little more lighthearted. It's called Altitude Sickness Supplemental Oxygen and Eight Year Olds. And I originally published this story on Tuesday, June 19th of 2012. But I'm sharing it again for you. Here you go. I spent a good part of the last decade working with young people at the Boys and Girls Club. My roles have been vast. I've created literacy programs, been the director of staffing and training, ran technology programs, and most recently I've been the director of programming for a club here in Arizona. At the club that I worked at here, there was an 8-year-old named Brian that was difficult, when he first started tending at least. I'm not going to bore you with all the details about his behavioral issues, but I can tell you that out of the 100 kids that showed up on any given day, Brian received about 90% of my attention. He was a challenge, but like most challenges, persistence and dedication paid off. After a few months of attending, Brian became one of my favorites. He was wacky and creative and smart and funny. One day he would show up walking on all fours and say that he was a Bankiri Kipling spider. And when I said that I had no idea what a Bankiri Kipling spider was, he would roll his eyes and tell me that it was a jumping spider found in Central America and was one of the only spiders in the world that ate vegetables and not insects. The next day he would show up growling at me and tell me he was a white tiger also known as a white Bengal tiger. And did I know that a white tiger is bigger than a normal Bengal tiger? 
And then the day after that, he would be spinning in circles as he entered the club. What's up with you today, Brian? I'd foolishly ask. And he would reach into his pockets and grab handfuls of dirt that he had picked up and release the dirt, still spinning, as he yelled, I'm a supercell tornado! I'm the most violent and destructive tornado with winds reaching over 200 miles per hour! It was obvious that Brian was learning to contain himself, but he still had random outbursts, some of which got him into a lot of trouble, like the time he flipped over a table during a game of a bingo because everyone else at the table was doing better than he was. But I did see progress, and it was promising. There was a local attorney that came in and volunteered to help the kids complete their homework in our homework room a couple nights every month. And I could tell that she was a really caring, loving lady, but the busy world of corporate contract law didn't allow her to stretch those philanthropic muscles so often. And we were lucky to receive her help whenever she could give it. A few Octobers ago, this volunteer told me that she was planning a local attorney's conference for some group that she was involved in, and they were flying in a motivational speaker from Europe. This guy climbed Mount Everest, and he does a talk about overcoming challenges, and he showed photos, and it was supposedly really awesome. Wouldn't it be cool, she said, if we could get him to do a talk here at the club for the kids while he was in town? Yeah, I told her that would be pretty awesome. Let's do it. Cut to two months later. I have a gymnasium full of children. I have a sound system set up. I have a projector and a laptop ready and waiting. And I have no motivational speaker. So I pull a game out of my ass. Listen up, everyone. I said, while we're sitting here waiting, we're going to play a quick game. I'm going to give you a category like TV shows, and then we're going to run through the alphabet coming up with a TV show for each letter. You guys get it? Everybody understood it. There were five or six stupid questions, and then we started the game. Okay, the first category is U.S. States. A. I look around, called on somebody, Alabama, that was easy. B. Everyone looks around, trying to think of states that start with B. I'm going through the list in my own head. I probably should have thought this through a little bit better. <laughs> Brian has his hand raised, and he's trying really hard not to blurt out an answer. I see him kind of like biting his lower lip. His hand is shaking in the air. And to test his patience a little bit, I call on Jessica, who's sitting right next to him. She says, Brazil. And then Brian exhales loudly. Ugh. Mr. Mike, there is no U.S. state that starts with B. This game continues until D, Delaware, when our Mount Everest climber finally shows up. He was an older man, European, wearing a light yellow polo shirt that he had tucked into his tight black jeans, and he was wearing white running sneakers on his feet. He quickly started his speech. He jumped right in, and it was evident from the beginning that he had never spoken to children before. He was making sarcastic jokes that flew over all of their unwashed heads. And at one point he asked the audience, this group of children, if any of them had ever been to a pub before. The entire presentation was also dull and lifeless. But the message was a positive one. This man, in his late 30s, decided that he was going to do something spectacular. Climb the highest mountain in the world. And then he did. 
he had some amazing photos, pictures of things we would never be able to see firsthand. And he had these stories about people almost dying. He talked about altitude sickness. He talked about one of the guides that almost died, and he had to sacrifice his oxygen tank to help. It was truly an inspiring story, but the delivery was a little too slow for kids of this age. I kept a close eye on Brian because I knew that a bored Brian was a destructive Brian. And at this point, we were getting very dangerously close. As a speaker wrapped things up about 20 minutes later than would have been nice, he put his hands in his pockets and he said to the group, So, are there any questions? And Brian leapt to his feet and raised his hand, like old faithful, 91 minutes of pressure spitting into the sky. The speaker smiled and looked at Brian. Well, I guess you have a question, yes, young man? Brian put his hand down. I saw his shoulders relax a little. Yes, Brian said. Um, why is your shirt tucked in like that? Done. Two stories shared. And would you believe it, I have two more for you if you want to come back. On the next episode, I'll be sharing a story called Surely You Want to Hear This One. And surely you will want to hear this one. It's about an old lady named Shirley who was one of my best friends when I was five. And another story called The Screensaver. And you'll want to come back and hear what that one's about because I barely remember it. So come back for two more stories on What Some Will Call Lies and Reruns. See you guys then. Bye-bye. I like to eat pizza.